From Entrepreneur Media, this is Problem Solvers, a show in which entrepreneurs do what entrepreneurs do best, solve unexpected problems in their business. We were completely wrong. And I'm just like, it's not selling. It was like, we have to start from scratch. I'm Jason Pfeiffer, the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. Maybe you caught this a few weeks ago on Shark Tank. There was a guy named Connor who had created something called Fort. It is an awesome, like, pillow fort. It's these cushions that are connected by magnets and kids can make a pillow fort. It it looks really cool. And the product seemed great. Sales really strong. He had raised more than $3 million on Kickstarter. But the whole conversation on the show revolved around this big, complicated problem that he had encountered on Kickstarter in the way that he had sold and the way that he had priced. I just... um. In case you missed it, here's a little bit of that. After I realized I oversold the first day, I was like, oh, I have to work really hard to sell the rest of this campaign, and I didn't sell enough to to accommodate the cost. What's important is is the people out there that joined into your Kickstarter, right? They were excited to get the product. You let them dictate the price, but then you had to go back to the factories. You had to figure out the shipping, and you had to say, oh, my God, how do I do this for $2.69? Yeah. Okay, it was a lot to try to take in. It was a lot to follow. It was a little hard. What you really could tell was just this guy was in a hole. He, he was in a world of hurt, despite having sold millions of dollars worth of products. And you think, how does somebody get into this mess? Well, I wanted to find out. My name is Connor Lewis, and I'm the founder of Fort, a kid's toy e-commerce company. Connor and I spoke a few weeks after the Shark Tank episode aired, but the problem he has been dealing with has been going on for quite a while. And it is just a mess. I mean, he is in a mess. He's made a great product. People really like it. He's still got a mess. And how did he get into this mess? Well, maybe you're thinking, as I was thinking, Connor just must not have been aware that a Kickstarter can be a really tricky place. Like selling something and and selling a lot of it on Kickstarter has led all sorts of people to crash and burn because they hadn't quite properly priced the thing or figured out the logistics of the thing. And so they got all these orders and then they couldn't fulfill them or they didn't have the money to fulfill them. And then everybody got angry. And maybe Connor just wasn't aware of that. So I asked him, of course, I said, Connor, did you not know that Kickstarter can really set people up for failure if they don't do it right. And he said, Yes, absolutely. In fact, it was my greatest fear going into it. The story of Connor and Fort is more complicated, if you can even imagine, than what you saw on Shark Tank. This is a story of a guy who really understood what he was doing and still made a critical mistake that he has struggled to recover from, despite having gotten an unbelievable education in third-party logistics and manufacturing and every possible thing that he could do. As a result, he is trying to turn around his company. He has also been the target of just outrageous and disgusting abuse from people online. And of course, a starring role on Shark Tank as a guy who was just knee deep in problems. Today, Connor is going to pull back the curtain. He's going to explain it all. It is certainly a cautionary tale, but also I think just worth hearing how somebody like him can constantly navigate and figure out how to just 
cope with a never-ending series of problems. Because look, his problems are his problems and someone else's problems are someone else's problems. But if you're going to get into this kind of business, you're always going to be running up against the unknown. And it's helpful to hear how Connor has navigated it. That's all coming up after the break. Entrepreneurship requires boldness. You'll need to do things that sound crazy and that others simply won't do. And you'll want business checking that thinks the same way. Introducing Novo Business Checking. Novo is powerfully simple business checking. And unlike the traditional banking model, Novo has no minimum balances, no transaction limits, and no hidden fees. Instead of a one-size-fits-all approach, Novo is customized to your business to save you time and free up cash flow with seamless integrations into Stripe, Shopify, QuickBooks Online, and more. Sign up for your free business checking account right now at novo.co slash solve. Plus, Problem Solvers listeners get access to over $5,000 in perks and discounts. Go to novo.co slash solve to sign up for free novo.co slash solve. Novo Platform Inc. is a fintech, not a bank. Banking services provided by Middlesex Federal Savings, FA, member FDIC. Terms and conditions apply. All right, we're back. So let's start at the beginning of this saga with Connor explaining what Fort is. So Fort is our main product. Fort is a magnetic play pillow fort. It's basically a set of awesome cushions that are waterproof with a bunch of magnetic connectors. And we kind of became famous for that product and are continuing to expand from there. And you became famous starting on Kickstarter, which we'll talk about. Where was Shark Tank in the journey? So Kickstarter basically launched the Shark Tank journey. We, we made such a splash online that, that Shark Tank actually reached out to us. And it was about a year-long journey to actually get to air. But Shark Tank just aired recently. All right. Let's start before Kickstarter. Where did this come from outside of that every parent sees their kids dismantle the couch and turn them into forts? Yeah, I mean, that's that's literally where it came from. Fort was born out of just watching my literally my my pregnant wife at the time and my two year old daughter at the time were just building a pillow fort. And I thought there's got to be a better way to do this. Of course, there's more complexity to that story. I was I was fully aware of the kids market at the time and what kind of toys were doing well. And why is that? Did you work in the kids market? No, I had just always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I mean, here I am, Entrepreneur Magazine. You're the man in charge. Like, this is it. You know, this is my this was my <laughs> welcome, dream. Welcome to it. The doors are open. Yeah. But you, but you came, but you came banging. What were you doing before then? So I was doing marketing, mostly like online digital stuff. And we would also do, I did a ton of video production and editing and directing. And so it was really easy to kind of like start to figure out how to build the foundation of an online business because I I really had most of those skills already. I just was not, it was the financial leap that I hadn't quite taken yet. Right. And I guess you were sitting around looking for the idea, like you knew you wanted to do it. You had a lot of the skills. What is the idea that I take to market? It's it's the idea and it's the fear. You know, I, I think entrepreneurs don't we we probably do talk about fear enough, but but probably that that first big leap is is terrifying. You know, you leave a, a job where you have comfort in the 401k and everything. And so that was that was the big thing for me. Is there is there a product that I feel like I can actually get some traction with? And then do I feel like I can actually I'm not in my twenties anymore. I, I have a family. What can I make happen quickly? And is that how you ended up doing this as a Kickstarter? Because the reason why people do Kickstarters is often because it's a great test of the market. Either somebody wants this and you should go all in on it, or people don't and you've saved yourself the trouble. Yeah, absolutely. 
I was pretty strong after about, so I started, I ran the Kickstarter about six to eight months after I started the company. So we had not done any revenue. It was completely funded by, uh, I actually lost my job during COVID and sold my car. And that's how I funded the company yeah. um, with my severance pay and with my, my car sale and some savings. And so we hadn't, we still hadn't sold anything because we And actually, sold. if I could just, if I can just note, because you were just talking about fear a moment ago. So the fear in a way sounds like it was resolved because you didn't really have another choice. You'd lost your job. I mean, there's the fear of selling the car and spending that money on a company, but it wasn't like you were leaving a job. Did you, do you feel like that shoved you in a way that you might not have otherwise taken the leap? I was convinced that I was going to go get a corporate job. I had one lined up. Um, COVID, this was very early in COVID. And, you know, I thought, oh, this is the big next step for me. I'm going to go get some big project manager job at this big, you know, whatever. And that didn't end up happening. And mm -hmm. I was looking around uh, while with a pregnant wife and a two-year-old, and we're all stuck at home. And I thought, I'm either going to have to go work at Costco at this point, or <laughs> I'm going to have to start something myself, and it's finally time. And so this idea came, and it was absolutely the convergence of everything I needed. It was the push that I needed to get out the door and finally make it happen. Got it. Amazing. Okay, so you start the company. You're not driving any revenue. Why did you do Kickstarter eight months in? So I was looking for a strong way to launch this product. I got obsessed with product launches. You know, it's really that classic D2C story we've heard from, you know, Tim Ferriss and everybody, the Harry's launch and, you know, all of those type of similar like product launches. So I got really into that and I thought, okay, well, I could either launch on Shopify, you know, and be totally fine. There's an inherent risk with that. You know, what if I get something wrong? What if something happens? Legally, I'm on the hook for a lot more. It's a lot, it's a lot more dangerous. And so Kickstarter and Indiegogo became the kind of obvi obvious choice for us. Not only is there market validation, but you also get the security of a crowdfunding campaign, which is great for a first-time entrepreneur, especially when I'm creating a product quite literally out of nowhere. You know, this, this hadn't really existed before. When you started to do this, I wonder if you were aware of the existence of the problem that it sounds like you ended up running into, which is that there are a lot of stories of people who launch on Kickstarter, they raise a ton of money, and then they discover that fulfillment is a lot more expensive or complicated or whatever than they knew. And then they end up losing money on it or it takes forever to fulfill and everybody's upset. This is a common story, which we're going to get into your version of, but were you aware of that as a Kickstarter problem when you went into it? Yes, absolutely. In fact, it was my greatest fear going into it is that I don't know what am I not seeing? What is the freight cost going to be? What is the shipping cost domestically going to be? What are the cogs on this product going to be that I'm not aware of currently? And it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. My fears were completely founded um, <laughs> and I lived the nightmare that I was hoping I didn't live. Did you do anything? Obviously not the right things, but did you do anything to try to mitigate for those potential outcomes when you launched? Like, how did you try to protect yourself from that? Yeah, so the one the one really good thing I did is not only did I have a really strong pre-launch email list because that's really what I focused in all my marketing abilities on. I knew I could market. Product development was like, okay, I'm not source. It's more sourcing. You know, how do you actually build the product overseas with a factory? That was the much more difficult problem. And so I knew there were a few places where I could squeeze a little bit of margin to give myself some safety. One of those was with something like a, a crowdfunding campaign, you can charge shipping later. 
So I made sure to give myself a really high shipping fee, uh, which ended up being totally necessary. And I also really, I did, I did a ton of research on a lot of those failed campaigns and looked at what went wrong with them. And ironically, we still, you know, hit similar issues, but it was really those shipping things. And I really tried to build the price around the cost of goods and get it as low as possible the first day of the campaign, which is usually a crowdfunding tactic. Launch with a really low price, get people in the door, use that to build success on the platform, you know, as you run ads and bring people to it. And uh, that kind of ultimately turned against me. That's kind of where the story starts to become interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so let's let's get into it. I mean, ultimately here, you raised north of $2 million on the Kickstarter, right? When did you start to understand that you were in for trouble? Yeah, so the first day, this is like what I say my claim to fame is, we raised $2 million in like 10 or 12 hours, I think. Oh my gosh. And so, you know, which is just like blows the door off everything. I think we were the... Uh, I think we hit number two of all time of a toy product. So I knew I had this highly, highly qualified email list. We had built an 80,000 person email list. People were really excited about this product. Doing a bunch of education on the product was, was totally up my alley. And how did you do that, by the way? For some, just for somebody yeah. who's listening and is like, wait a second, he doesn't have a product and he has 80,000 people on yeah. an email list. Where do those 80,000 people come from? Yeah. So this was kind of the magic of the, the pre-launch. Well, I should admit, there's a, a hint of virality to this product, right? Of course. It hadn't been seen before. You, cannot, you can't completely replicate this process for everything. Right. Now, there are parts of it that you can. What I did was I knew there was a certain type of customer who would enjoy this product. I ran Facebook ads basically targeted towards general things that they liked. And I knew that the real power around products like this came from things like Facebook groups, Instagram influencers, things like that. And so basically what I did was uh, I, I said to myself, if I get one person to sign up for my email list and share this link from this viral sharing campaign software, it's called Kickoff Labs. If they share that in this one group I made, hmm. you know, the campaign is made. And that's exactly what happened. As I did wow. everything I could to get one person to share one link of my product inside of these Facebook groups, because you can't share it yourself. No one wants to see that. It gets ignored immediately. And so I kind of had to play the game. And it, there's there's inherent risk involved, but it just snowballed from there. So we got that person to post that link. I remember the day it happened. We got about 1,500 free email leads overnight, and <laughs> it just snowballed from there. Amazing. Okay. All right. So let's go back to this. So you have this very powerful email list. You are teed up for success. You launch this thing. $2 million raised very quickly. Now, the question that I'd asked you was, when did you know you were in trouble? So what happened is this, and this was the lesson that I took with, my, with me as an entrepreneur, is that you don't, well, first of all, I, I hired an agency and that agency told me to lower the price. You hired a, what, like a Kickstarter uh, yeah. consulting agency? Crowdfunding agency. Okay. Yes. It's their bread and butter. And their job is to raise money. Their job is not to fulfill products, which is a very clear distinction. Now, when you want to raise money, you get that process, price as low as you can and you get as many people in the door as possible. And so what I did was I cut the price lower than I should have. And I actually realized it before we launched. Um, I said that I was going to sell the product for $199, which was quite literally cost of goods landed you know, with freight. And uh, I added a shipping charge to that because I needed some buffer space. And when I started seeing everything happening, when I got closer to the launch, within the first few, within the uh, a week or two of the launch, I said, "We cannot run this at 199. I'm, I'm not. If everyone comes in the door, 
and 10,000 people buy this at 199, I'm not going to be able to make this happen. So I added a second tier to the first day, the, the early bird, because I knew I needed some more space. So I added a little extra money because I was getting spooked. And so what happened the first day is we blow the doors off of it. $2 million comes in. So I'm sitting on the second day thinking, okay, we sold a bunch at 199. We sold a bunch at just a little bit higher. And, and what is that second, more. the second tier, meaning a different offering where people are going to pay a little more to get something yeah. else? It's like the, it's the first through the door and the second through the door. So the first person gets the best deal. The second person gets the second best deal. Got and it. the second best deal was 20 or $40 more. And we basically sold more than I had anticipated that first day with that, with such low of a deal. We did those $2 million and I thought, okay, now I have to be really good at paid ads. I have to be really good at getting at, you know, PR and everything else because we've got to make up basically for the fact that I just sold everything for costs more or less the first day. And if any unknown comes, we're basically screwed at this point, right? Right, right. Okay, got it. So <laughs> that is a alarming thing to be thinking about with the dollar amount that you're looking at. It's funny because I bet a lot of people would think, put something on Kickstarter and you raise $2 million. and the angels sing and the confetti starts falling from the ceiling. But instead, you understand that the pricing structure is putting you in a tough spot such that all that money raised, quote unquote, is, is actually troublesome. So you must have to start going into problem solving mode while this Kickstarter is still live, right? Like, what were you what were you doing aside from what you just said? Was there even anything else to do to try to get yourself out of this mess? Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing is, um, well, a Tesla didn't roll up to my house or anything, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, people <laughs> think you raise millions of dollars and magic happens. Unfortunately, there is no magic. It is yeah. all just uh, work and Excel sheets. So the first thing we did was started sourcing new suppliers to see if we could change the cost of goods, see if we could find a way to get cheaper magnets, and also kind of looking like, can we raise more money to cover the, the potential loss we may be looking at? In hindsight, it maybe would have been better to cancel the campaign and redo it over again with higher price. But you feel like you have so much momentum. Yeah. And you just said, and you like, I just got the product validation I was looking for. I just found out that this product is wanted, but is it wanted at a price that I can actually pay for? And, mm -hmm. and that, that became the challenge. And then so begins the drama of supplier after supplier moving back and forth from overseas to domestic, trying to figure out like, can uh, so it the, if you can envision this the product is a really large set of foam blocks so it's kind of compressed like a Casper mattress you know things like that in a box and it's really large to ship right and so you know we started looking at basically all of those pieces and i'm sure at some point we drove our kickstarter backers crazy because we did so many supplier changes and so many you know things like that and that is exactly why I did a Kickstarter campaign because I knew I, I was I knew there was going to be something. I knew I was going to change a, have to change the supplier, find a different magnet, maybe a different fabric, anything I could do to try and fit it into this mold that I kind of fixed for myself. Right. So, what's the next step of the story here? I presume the Kickstarter wraps up. Everybody now expects their fort. Nobody's getting their fort. Yeah. So basically, Kickstarter wraps up. We do over $3 million, which is amazing. Yeah. I get to work 
being terrified. I mean, you, it's terrifying, right? That you have millions of dollars hit your bank account and you are very afraid to spend it. You know, <laughs> I'm sure there's some entrepreneurs out there who are like, you know, let's go, let's spend this baby. And I, I was terrified. Those first few wire transfers are just, are just so scary. And so we got, we, we got down to it, uh, trying to figure out if those, if all these different suppliers could make this happen. We ultimately, it took us probably a few months to find the perfect supplier. We had already had things in process at other factories. And we finally found a supplier who fit everything we needed and could produce really quickly. And it all just became down to international freight, which is not anything that I knew anything about. Um, it's a huge challenge. And as you can imagine, in mid to late 2021, it was uh, quite, the, uh, quite the debacle. Oh, yeah. Well, of course, it's still a debacle. So, okay. Meanwhile, this is 20, late 2021. So how long have people who bought on Kickstarter been waiting for this thing as you're trying to find the right supplier? Yeah, so we probably ran, it probably took us about four solid months moving back and forth from suppliers, you know, uh, testing out things to, to finally find the right fit and make that happen. But actually, once we got that supplier, uh, production was very fast. I mean, uh, they were incredible. You know, we produced thousands of products within, I don't know, 30 or 60 days. It was incredible. But and in so, the meantime, in the meantime, are you hearing from people? Are people pissed? So people, are, people were pretty generally okay for the most part. Ah, and that is because Connor had yet to do the thing that would start to solve his problem and also make it so much worse. What is that? coming up after the break. Are you ready to take your business to the next level and looking for that push, that guidance, that inspiration to help get you there? Well, then what you need is Entrepreneur Insider. Entrepreneur Insider is a membership-based program created by the editors of Entrepreneur Magazine and Entrepreneur.com. It provides insights and advice from industry experts, along with exclusive benefits like access to premium online articles, videos, webinars, a weekly newsletter, and an ad-free experience on Entrepreneur.com. Plus, you get a free one-year subscription to Entrepreneur Magazine. Don't miss out. Become an Entrepreneur Insider for just $5 per month today and start boosting your business knowledge and growing your brand. Visit entrepreneur.com slash insider to unlock your access today. Again, that is entrepreneur.com slash insider. All right, let's just jump right back into the story with Connor. So people were pretty generally okay for the most part. You know, we, we gave ourselves a little bit of space on the shipping timeline. Obviously, we didn't hit that, but we were down to about a month or two late. And when we started to announce like, hey, this is coming, it's coming and it's expensive was kind mm. of the general sentiment so, or the general thing that we put out. So we had less of this is late and more, we're going to have trouble bringing this into the country because of supply chain issues. Wait a second. So when you say this is expensive, remind me how it works for a Kickstarter buyer. They've, they've bought in at the price that you set. So are you asking for more money from them? Is it the shipping cost that changes? What is it that they're along the ride for outside of just sitting around waiting for you to deliver the product? Yeah. So when a Kickstarter, when Kickstarter or someone on crowdfunding decides to back a product, they're basically saying, I believe in what you're doing and I'm going to pay you a X amount. And I'm hoping that in return, you're going to deliver me the product that I'm paying to believe in you for. 
It is kind of a handshake deal around supporting a company. They're called backers for a reason. It's called a project for a reason. And you're called a creator for a reason. It's not called a store and a transaction. You know, it's a, it's a very different uh, structure. Right. And so we basically knew it came down to what we figured out was from our supplier, we could either pay the supplier and mm-hmm. have all the product completely finished and sitting in a warehouse in China, or we could pay our freight bills was what it came down to. So we had to get really creative. This is where the problem solving comes in. So I thought, which was the where I was thinking wrongly, that I could sell more product on pre-order on our website. So outside of the crowdfunding ecosystem, because we needed more cash to basically pay off the impending freight bills. Right. And I basically had two options, three options. The first was I could sell my way out, which is basically looks like, you know, trying to pre-order and sell, sell, sell. We're talking about at this point, almost, you know, over a million dollars of sales that I would need to be able to pay all the freight bills incoming. My second option would be out to, to go out and raise money. We've got product viability. There's clear winners in this market that are doing tens and hundreds of millions of dollars. Maybe I could raise some money. And the third one was I could ask the Kickstarter backers for more money to bring in the product. I see. And that is obviously the hairiest of all those situations. You never want to go back and have to ask for money. And, you know, I didn't want to dilute myself any more than I had. I wanted to kind of live and die on this without a bunch of other people's money. And it was very clear that I was not going to sell my way out of this. So I had to say to the backers, listen, if you want this product as fast as I can get it, we're going to actually, we're going to offer a voluntary charge of $99. If you want to pay it, we're literally going to send that money to the freight company in the 3PL and ship that product to your door. If you don't pay that, we will ship it to you when we have the, basically the margin to be able to make that happen. And that is when people became very angry. That is when people became very angry. There it is. You're correct. (laughs) Shocking. Shocking. Okay, here's the thing, though. So f- almost 40% of our customers paid $99. Wow. If you're, if you're really thinking about that, right, we're talking about a- around 10,000 people. So around 4,000 people went out on a limb to pay $99. That is, that's free cash flow that helped us bring in product. We literally could not have brought in all the product without that. That was literally how we paid our freight bills. And we, so what we did was, you know, there's a lot of stuff. I was reading things in entrepreneur groups that I was a part of about distressed assets. Great term to call myself. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I've never wanted to be a distressed asset. No, but, you know, nope. now we are. Now Nobody does. Yeah. yeah. And kind of looking at, okay, what, what are the, what are the things I can pull for, for, for more cash? You know, can we stretch the supplier longer and can we stretch the supplier and tell them basically, you know, if you work with us, we're going to ship all this product out. It's going to bring in more sales and we're going to pay you back faster. So we were able to get some terms with our suppliers and, and kind of stretch things out. We were able to, you know, obviously get the 40% of customers to pay the extra fee. Now, what goes really wrong with all of this is you get all that set up. It looks pretty good for the most part. Yes, you're kind of in a tight spot, but you're able to kind of make it happen. Except so 40% of people pay $99. of people either say, I don't have the money or I'm not going to do that. That gets you to 90% of your customers. 10% of your customers basically say, you can go F off, right? Which is understandable. They were excited about something that you created and now they're disappointed. Mm -hmm. Um, They're disappointed because you didn't fulfill on what you said you were going to do. There are things that both happen inside the company and outside of the company that made it difficult to do. I don't think I've ever seen anyone else now that I've kind of met a lot of e-commerce entrepreneurs 
have so many issues with customer challenges like like we have had. This begins the kind of saga of people starting to make legal claims against the company and people doing a lot of reputation damage, people beginning to uh, threaten us, say some very nasty things about my family and, you know, my wife and start to, <laughs> I mean... And there's almost nothing you can do. So we had to start to learn how to live in this uh, great tension where a very small segment of our customers decided that that they were going to take it upon themselves to end my company because I was committing fraud. And as you can imagine, with enough determined people, some really bad things start to happen. Yeah. Oh, that's awful. Well, I'm going to ask you what those really bad things are. But first, <laughs> was there any way to just say all right, you people who are absolutely furious, here's your money back. Just let's just call it even. Can you can you do that? Or, or was that just not acceptable to them at this point? No. And we did do that. Mm -hmm. We did. We offered the money back, but quite literally the money was gone. Right? right. So the money was all spent on supplier and bringing in on on freight. And the rest of those bills were paid by the people who brought it in. So we're at negative zero. I mean, you know, yeah. it's, it's everything's gone. And all we have is product, you know, yeah. which is great when you want to sell product and you need to make money. It's really bad when, you know, a thousand people want a refund on a right. Kickstarter. Right, right. And ultimately, that product is kind of technically more expensive than than the refund. So there's this kind of weird dichotomy where you're paying out a refund, it's actually cheaper to pay out the refund, but we don't have the cash, we have the product. So we need to sell the product in order to offer the refund. And that actually is is currently where we're living right now is is you know we're we still have refund debt technically to our some of our Kickstarter backers that we continually have to work on week by week and hmm. either you know pay out or basically try to make up the difference for that. Oh, I didn't realize that. Wait, before we talk about how you're managing that cuz now we're in present time, let's just go back to the evolution here. So, all right, you've got this small subset of people, which by the way, is very interesting to hear just the raw percentages because the internet can be such a ugly place. And yet it is such a small percentage of people who are making it so ugly. It's, it's something that I think people often miss when they talk about, oh, the coarseness of society today because of social, you know, it's actually just a small percentage of people who are so nasty, but can be so loud. And so this is what you're dealing with, where a great bulk of people were willing to just give you more money or at least just ride the thing out. And it's the small percentage of people who, for whatever awful thing is missing in their lives, decide to fulfill it by going after you. What were you dealing with and how did you steer yourself through it? Yeah, so so when the when the first kind of lashback happened was initially around asking for more money, which is totally understandable. I was not good. I was not in a good place. I had a complete breakdown. Ironically, I was like filming Shark Tank like the next week or two, which only added to that tension being like, okay, now I'm going to go on television in front of a billionaire and I'm going to talk about this business that is, you know, I'm not sure what's happening with. Right. And, let's actually just, I mean, you just kind of, yeah. you you just threw, threw that in there, but let's just set that up. So just, which is to say that Shark Tank reaches out to you in the middle of all this. Yeah. And that must be exciting because there's a big opportunity, but you're also thinking, oh my God, I'm in a world of hurt right now. And this is a opportunity I presume don't feel like you can turn down, but you probably wish you were in a better place for. Yeah. It's very daunting thinking, okay, I just nuclear bombed this company. 
that like is my first company. Now I'm an entrepreneur and I'm an entrepreneur for life. I, I'm never going back. You know, if this fails, I'm doing it again. And thinking like, oh, and now I have a huge opportunity. You know, Shark Tank is dollars, right? For any e-commerce business, even if you go on and you look like an idiot, you're still going to make one more dollar than you did the, the day before. And so, you know, as a marketer, I knew that that was an opportunity I couldn't turn down. And I'm looking at this company being like, how can I tell this story? And this true story, there's a, been a lot of conspiracy about me online. I need to make a documentary about it someday. But uh, the true story is that like, I, I lost my job. I sold my car. I started this business. I have kids. I'm a normal guy from St. Louis, Missouri, Midwestern boy. And I just hit some really bad stuff. And there is no secret magic to it. It just really sucked and it was really hard. And so that was the story I took to Shark Tank. And I said, you know, here's where we're at. Here's what's going on. Here's the issues we've had, you know, and here's what I'm looking for. And I was so lucky that that panned out well, that the editors, you know, took that and ran that true story that it, that it, that it was true to what actually happened. And that does not happen very often. And I am so grateful that it did. And it happened that way. What was the result of being on the show? So, I mean, I could spoil the show. You can go see it. And we did not get a deal. And that was pretty, pretty well. I was okay with that. And it actually was not for the reason that I thought it was. I had brought in a business partner who now is, we're two peas in a pod at this point. We work very closely. You know, at first it wasn't like that, but now he's, he's every bit of like the builder of the company with me and the founder. And they really just basically didn't want to get into bed with somebody who was already there. And my business partner has a bigger business than me. So they were kind of felt like, okay, you already got your guy. You don't need me. But, you know, I built such a strong rapport with Lori and Robert while we were on screen that if I was more cogent with everything that I just explained that was going on, by the time I got through the 20 or 45 minutes, it's a blur when you're in there. I didn't have the ability to negotiate. I completely lost it. And at the end of it, Robert, who could see that I was getting exhausted and and the questions and the, you know, the, the, them fighting amongst themselves. He literally stopped the whole thing. He said, stop, stop, look at me, look at me. And he said, you're selling yourself short. Don't, you know, never stop selling, never stop believing in yourself. Like you've got this, you can do this. I believe you can do this. I'm not going to go in with you. I just can't get there for the, the amount, but I, I, you can do this. And he hit me with that. I turned around and walked out and I started bawling. I hadn't cried in a long time and it just came the charging people more money, the people harassing me online, trying to ruin the company actively, going on television and having, you know, these really intense people ask you really intense questions and having to live up to your whole history, just everything came out. And that was kind of the big turning point for the whole company when when I walked out of there and said, I'm going to figure this out. It's going to be painful, but we can make it work. And I'm just going to keep going. And what's going on now? Where are you in in this saga? Yeah, so that's a that's a really good question because I would say we're still very much so in the problem solving phase even though we've created a really sustainable system to work in. We realize the product is is very expensive. It's really hard to sell especially with the the really low cash that we have currently. So we're not running, you know, thousands of dollars of ads a day. We just can't live that life with the margins that we have right now. And so basically what we did was we did some really creative cash flow planning, you know, working with our suppliers, very unsexy stuff to talk about on a podcast. And we worked with some you know, lenders and things like that and have been able to ship out basically all of the Kickstarter, which is incredible. So we finally like about we're, we're about to hit that milestone for any multi million dollar Kickstarter campaign, which is full fulfillment. 
And we're kind of, you know, hanging on to the the, the refunds that we need to issue because those are the re- those are the hardest things. That is that is cash that we owe that we need to pay back. And, and we just continue to chip away at that, basically. But we couldn't have done it without really boring stuff like supplier negotiations um, and things like that. And so what we're doing right now is we've basically spent the last four months of this year, or the just the beginning of this year, basically completely re-engineering products, figuring out products that fit better into our cost of goods and what we think the customer will also like. We built such a strong brand and have such a strong, like, following and regardless of the controversy there are people who know about us you know in the same we're said in the same breath as companies that are doing nine figures and that is really powerful i'm not going to give up on that and so by re-engineering cost of goods by doing all these things we're starting to just float like very slowly upwards you know out of this like really problem solving you know scenario Connor, you have dealt with quite a lot, <laughs> to say the least. And I'm curious, as a kind of closing thought here, you were saying at the beginning, you're, you're, you were, you're a first-time entrepreneur. You had a lot of the tools, a lot of the know-how to launch this thing. You couldn't have possibly understood how difficult this was going to be. And surely didn't have the level of expertise to do supplier negotiations and to figure out all this stuff that you needed to figure out. You talk about it very fluently now. Um, I wonder if you could just reflect upon what it was like to learn these things. Lesson about Kickstarter aside, but just having to navigate a lot of really complex business issues and figure it out on the fly and learn it as you were doing it. What was that like? And what did you learn about how to do that? I think my greatest strength over the past 18 months or so has been the ability to learn hard lessons. And as I've gone back through catalogs of interviews with entrepreneurs and founders, you know, combing the internet, I've seen a common story, which is this exact story that I'm living. Mine may be a little bit uglier than most. It is the ability to just kind of like continue moving and you don't really die until you stop, which is this weird thing that I think most entrepreneurs don't know. You know, there is such a thing as giving up and I don't think there's anything wrong with giving up. But I learned that if I can just keep going, if I can just do it one day at a time, solve that problem today and get to the next day, And I also learned to release a lot of stress off of myself. The biggest thing that I had to do was to just stop, to stop thinking about it, to spend time with my family and move on because there was nothing, no more amount of fretting was going to solve the problem in the moment. And that was a really hard lesson. It's a little more philosophical, but, you know, so in reflecting about all of this, those were the kind of the biggest takeaways is that there have been a lot of people who have been through this. If I keep moving it's going to be this or it's going to be something else I'm going to hit. I'm going to hit that run that we all all entrepreneurs want to hit and just like take the foot off the gas at some point. You know, don't turn into the the psychopath. You know, we've seen the documentaries. Just take a minute and get that pressure off your shoulders and, and then keep moving. Connor, I appreciate you sharing this. I think it's going to be helpful for a lot of people to hear and wishing you the best in getting this all righted and and going where I I think based on hearing you and hearing the way that you wrapped your head around it, it ultimately is going. Awesome. Thank you for having me, Jason. 
And that's our episode. I would love to hear what you think and maybe even about a problem that you solved. You can find me at my website, jasonpfeiffer.com. J-A-S-O-N-F-E-I-F-E-R.com. Also, I have some more useful stuff for you. I write a newsletter about how to future-proof yourself and become more adaptable and optimistic. I would love for you to sign up. It is at jasonpfeiffer.bulletin.com. Also, check out my other podcast. It's called Build for Tomorrow. In each episode, I take on some belief that we have that holds us back from progress and show you why it is not as bad as you think. Problem Solvers is a production of Entrepreneur Media and comes out every Monday morning, so make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Thanks to Deepa Shah for production. My name is Jason Pfeiffer. See you next week.